Good evening and welcome to this Spirit and Life Bible Study. My name is Jonathan. Our reader is Kara tonight. And our topic is to fill the earth. And to set this up a little bit, some of you may have heard the same reports that I heard, at least if you're in the U.S., that uh, Christianity and even religion as a whole seems to be shrinking in North America or in, in the U.S. Uh, even in the Bible Belt, there are fewer people who identify as Christian and there are more people who say none, you know, religious affiliation, none, and so on. So it's interesting to wonder what exactly is going on there. And I couldn't help but juxtapose this in my mind with predictions in Scripture that something, the, the worship of the Lord in some way, uh, whatever that's going to look like, will fill the earth, will fill the earth. So we want to look at that tonight and wonder what that means, have a look at some scriptures about that and see what's predicted and what we can glean from that about how we might get from here to there. So that's the journey I'd like to take you on. Uh, let's open with a prayer, shall we, friends? Our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, we thank you for bringing us together in your name. We're searching the pages of your word, seeking to know you, seeking to know the nature of your coming, Lord. Amen. Amen. Thanks, everyone. Very nice to see you. Sending out greetings to those of you who are online, getting the audio and so on. And uh, let me tell you a little bit about this Spirit and Life Bible study. Spirit and Life Bible Study looks at the Bible through a Swedenborgian lens, meaning in alignment with the teachings of Emanuel Swedenborg, born 1688, died 1772. The name Spirit and Life comes from Jesus himself, who says that his words are spirit and they are life, a very intriguing statement. Spirit, which we take to mean that his words have a spiritual and heavenly meaning and purpose, and life meaning that his words are alive and aim to bring us to life, by teaching us how we are to live if we wish to become spiritual and heavenly. And since Jesus is the Word made flesh, what he says of his words applies to all the words of the Bible. They all teach who he is and how to get from hell to heaven. Very nice to have you with us. The first scripture I want to look at diving right in here is Daniel chapter 2, where there is a vision... We don't have time to look at it at length. We have looked at it in other Bible studies before. But this is the vision of this figure that has the head of gold and so on, this, this, this figure that's very meaningful. And he will not tell people what he, he dreamed. He just asks them to tell him the interpretation. I want to skip a bunch of the story, but pick up in 2 verse 31. You, O king, were watching, and behold, a great image. So the prophet Daniel is telling Nebuchadnezzar what he dreamed. This great image, whose splendor was excellent, stood before you, and its form was awesome. This image's head was of fine gold. A head of gold, okay. Its chest and arms of silver. Chest and arms of silver. Its belly and thighs of bronze. Belly and thighs of bronze, so that's three Gold, silver, bronze, right? It's legs hmm, of... Interesting. Interestingly sort of Olympic, isn't it? And 33. <laughs> it's legs of iron. It's feet partly of iron and partly of clay. Yes, and you know that wonderful expression about someone having feet of clay, or so, even if they're a wonderful person, they have feet of clay. Mm -hmm. You know, that this is the passage from which, that, from which that comes. So generally speaking, people have thought of these as four stages, gold, silver, bronze, and iron. And then what happens? You watched while a stone was cut out with hands. Without, with, without hands? Oh, with sorry. Hands. Thank you. A stone was cut out without hands. That's our Ooh. dear reader's first ever error. <laughs> <laughs> it's epic. Okay, go on. Which struck the image on its feet of iron and clay and broke them in pieces. Interesting. So it struck it on the feet, okay? Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, and the gold were crushed together. Interesting that it goes <clears throat> not quite in perfect. The Bible's so full of these kind of things. It doesn't go in perfect reverse order, but the iron and the clay, which are at the bottom of the image, then it works its way up, right? The bronze, the silver, the gold were broken together. Go on. And they became like chaff from the summer threshing floors. Mm. The wind carried them away. So, so that this mighty image 
is, is uh, just swept away like the chaff of the summer threshing floor and, go on, sorry. The wind carried them away so that no trace of them was found. Mm. And, and the stone that struck the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. There it is. Okay. Now, this is quite cryptic. You would say, well, what does that mean? We, we don't know what that means. But Swedenborg explains this image, as you may know, and he compares it, as a number of people have done over the centuries, with a statement from Ovid's Metamorphoses, the classical Latin author who speaks of, he and Hesiod and other classical authors, speak of a golden age, a silver age, a bronze age, an iron age. They speak of these four ages. And so people would take this, this uh, scripture here in Daniel and put it together with Ovid, and they would say, well, look, there are, there are these, these are about four ages. These are about four different stages of the human race. There was a golden age. And how, this is still a very familiar phrase, isn't it? This idea that everything had a, you know, the, the, the golden age of noir film or the golden age of, you know, postmodern poetry or whatever. Everything has a golden age with the idea that kind of goes downhill or, or gets somewhat watered down after that. Um, so people took these as ages. So it's very intriguing to ponder what this fifth one is, which is this stone, right? There was a stone cut out without hands, which smote the image, and it completely crushed the image, so the image just blew away. So there's something about this fifth thing that's going to crush all those previous things, and it's going to become a what at the end of verse 35? A great mountain <clears throat> and fill the whole earth. Yes. So it just starts out as a stone. It deals with that great statue of Nebuchadnezzar pretty quickly, and then it becomes this great mountain, and it fills the whole earth. So the implications of this are interesting to ponder, but what, what does it mean? It seems to be talking about uh, that there was a golden age, there was a silver age, a bronze age, an iron age, and then something else came along that, that was just um, completely dominant over all those other things, and it became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. And one little clue, if you're familiar with Swedenborg's idea of correspondences, which is the idea that spiritual things uh, answer to things in the physical world and have similar effects and so on, that this stone means truth. Stones and rocks in, in Scripture generally mean truth. Uh, but mountains mean love. So it's interesting that the suggestion is that this truth that was the stone became this enormous love, particularly love of God and love of the neighbor is what mountains mean in a positive sense. There are negative mountains in Scripture too. And this great mountain, this tremendous love, fills the whole earth, whatever that is. It's something that becomes completely dominant and fills the earth. So that's where, that's one passage from which I get this idea that there's going to be a something. What I've referred to that as in these Bible studies, as you may have heard if you've tuned in before, is Christianity version 2.0. In other words, uh, Swedenborg talks about the Golden Age as a most ancient church, the Silver Age was an ancient church, and then the Bronze Age was Jude ancient Judaism, and then the uh, iron and the iron mixed with clay was, Swedenborg takes as symbolism for Christianity version 1.0, and that then there's going to come this Christianity version 2.0, uh, in, in the way that I'm putting this together, that becomes this great mountain and fills the whole earth, whatever exactly the earth is. Uh, but it sounds like something that's going to become very prominent on this, on this planet. This is reminiscent of some other scriptures. So let's go look. Let's turn all the way to the left to the beginning of the Bible in Genesis here. Isn't there something in Genesis about the earth, something about filling the earth or something? Mm -hmm. Don't I remember something about that mm -hmm. in yeah. there? Yeah. Okay, let's have a look here. So after various different other forms of creation have occurred in the days of creation, we're in chapter 1, and let's look at verse 26. Let's start there, shall we? Then God said, <coughs> excuse me, let us make man in our image, according to our likeness. 
Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, mm. over, over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, over all the earth. Over o- all the earth. Oh. Hmm. Over all the earth. Hmm. Go on. And over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Okay, it's interesting that it goes in the sequence of fish, then birds, then animals, right? Mm-hmm. Now, these verses have troubled lots of people because they feel like they're saying that humans should go ahead and just destroy the earth in any way they want because they were told to have dominion over all these things. That's not the way that a Swedenborgian lens looks at this passage. We'll talk about that in a moment. Let's read on there. So God created man in his own image. Hmm. In the image of God, he created him. Hmm. That's probably a good thing, Hmm. right? The image of God is probably good. Okay. Male and female, he created them. I see. Then God blessed them, Hmm. and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply. Oh, Fill the earth and subdue it. Ah, there you go. Okay. Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth. Hmm. Isn't that interesting? So you have this image of the stone that became a great mountain and filled the earth. That's what's supposed to happen in this fifth age. But here we are reading something that is surely, you can't get any earlier in the Bible. If there's a golden age in the Bible, this must be it, the Garden of Eden, right? Here's Adam and Eve. And they're being told to do the same thing. Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth. But it does say subdue it. Go on. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Hmm. Again, sort of a list there. Okay. Fill the earth and subdue it. Okay, that's interesting. And as you know, uh, good friends, probably the story goes badly rather quickly. (laughs) And uh, so let's look in Genesis chapter 6 and look at... uh, Start at verse 9 in Genesis 6. This is the genealogy of Noah. Noah was a just man, perfect in his generations. Perfect in his generations. Noah walked with God. Mm, That's Adam and Eve were in the image and likeness of God. Noah walked with God. Okay. And Noah begot three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Okay. So how was the earth doing at that point? The earth also was corrupt before God. Oh, it was. And the earth was filled with violence. Oh, no, wait a minute. It was supposed to be filled with nice, you know, Adam and Eve were supposed to be nice and fill it with with good things. Uh, It's filled, all right, but it's full of violence. Mm, nasty. Okay, and what did God say and do? God looked upon the earth, and indeed it was corrupt. Mm. For all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. All flesh. Now, what does that mean? It's interesting. They corrupted their way like they were living badly or something like that. They corrupted their way on the earth. Okay. And God said to Noah, The end of all flesh has come before me, for the earth is filled with violence through them. And behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Yes, very interesting. I'll destroy them along with the earth. So the people and the earth will be destroyed. Uh, But Noah was saved, wasn't he? And there was this flood, but it didn't really... kind of made the growing season a little weird that year. But (laughs) it it didn't completely destroy the planet. I mean, there was still the planet. They, they came out at the end, the water dried up, and they, they continued with their life. So it's interesting to think about what the, that word destroy occurs a lot in Scripture, but it sometimes doesn't seem to mean what we usually mean by destroy exactly. It's mm-hmm. not like the planet's going to blow to pieces. And very interesting that this is Noah because Swedenborg says that Noah would be of that silver like there was a golden age that was about, you know, fill the earth. Then there's the beginning of this silver age, but things had gotten very bad at the end of the golden age. You know, it it had gone south, and even Ovid kind of refers to that. Uh, And have a look at chapter 9, verse 1. You see there was this great flood, and Noah and some members of his immediate family and various animals by sevens and twos and so on were, were carried up and saved from off the earth, and then... The flood went away, and God said to Noah what? In verse 9, verse 1. So God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Oh, huh. 
Interesting. So Adam and Eve are supposed to fill the earth. Then it goes badly, and instead it gets filled with violence. Hmm. And here's Noah, and there's this great flood that supposedly destroys everything, you know, and it, and it does sort of create a clean slate and so on. And then the first thing he says to Noah is to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Isn't that interesting? So we're talking about a golden age that was told to fill the earth, and then a silver age that was told to fill the earth, and then this fifth one, the rock that becomes the great mountain and fills the earth. Hmm, what is going on? Okay, let's look at Genesis chapter 12, where we will not find answers. <laughs> let's have a look at those first three verses there. This is the Lord's call to Abram. Hmm which seems like the beginning of another era, okay? Now the Lord had said to Abram, get out of your country, from your family, and from your father's house, to a land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great, and you shall be a blessing. Mm. I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse him who curses you. And? And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Yes, isn't that interesting that it, it doesn't say fill the earth, but it does say all the families of the earth will be blessed. Interesting. So Adam and Eve are supposed to fill the earth. Noah is supposed to fill the earth. And Abram is supposed to be a blessing to all the families in the earth. That's, that's intriguing, very intriguing. Now, uh, turn with me, if you will, good friends. We'll go through Exodus Leviticus, and we'll get into Numbers, surely your favorite book of Scripture, and uh, Numbers chapter 14. There's an interesting statement here where the Lord, let's, uh, hmm. let's just pick up at verse 18. We're right in the middle of a story, but we'll go ahead with it. The Lord is long-suffering and abundant in mercy forgiving iniquity and transgression, but he by no means clears the guilty, hmm. visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation. Hmm. So it seems to matter how we live. Okay, go on. Pardon the iniquity of this people, I pray, according to the greatness of your mercy, just as you have forgiven this people from Egypt even until now. Okay, and the Lord said... But then the Lord said, I have pardoned according to your word. And listen to this. But truly, as I live, all the earth shall be filled with the glory of the Lord. Mm. Kind of sweet, isn't it? Isn't a nice little verse right in there. Interesting. Truly, as I live, all the earth shall be filled with the glory of the Lord, he says. Mm. All the earth shall be filled with the glory of the Lord. So... First of all, it sounded like when it was talking about Adam and Eve and Noah, it just sounded like it was talking about just reproduce, have children, and so on, you know, just, just populate the planet. But the fact that already by Genesis 6 it was talking about the land being full of violence, it seems more like that multiplication and, and so on that it was talking about is more about a way that people are behaving. Doesn't it? Like the land is filled with violence. That, that's a bad thing. It's supposed to be filled with something good. And here it's talking about all the earth shall be filled with the glory of the Lord. Hmm. And that's so interesting partly because surely if you are anyone who believes in any kind of a hierarchy of things, uh, the earth is probably at the bottom, Right. You might have God and the angels and the loftiest parts of the human heart and understanding or something, and all the way at the bottom is the earth. It's interesting that the earth will be filled with the glory of the Lord. And uh, I just want to flash back to the beginning of Genesis again. We should have read the first verse of the whole Bible, shouldn't we? Mm -hmm. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That's right. And the earth started out not in such great shape, but it turned by chapter 2 into the Garden of Eden. Uh, so the very beginning of Genesis is about the extreme makeover of the earth. Most of the action is about the earth being brought to life uh, and, and developing and so on. 
very interesting. So the earth will be filled with the glory of the Lord. That's nice. Uh, let's have a look at the Psalms. Let's go into the middle of your Bible, go through plow through a whole bunch of things, get in the middle somewhere there, and you'll find the Psalms. Go for Psalm 72. How about that? This is a Psalm about the Lord. You'll see in verse 20 that it was, it's listed in the Psalms as the last of the prayers of David. Then there are other prayers after that, even though there are also some other prayers of David after that. But let's read verses 17 to 19 here about the Lord. His name shall endure forever. His name shall continue as long as the sun. The, and men shall be blessed in him. Oh. All Abram was supposed to be a blessed, right? That's interesting. Mm -hmm. hmm. Abram was going to be a blessing to all the families of, of the earth, right? But now it's talking about the Lord. All people will be blessed in him. Okay. All nations shall call him blessed. All nations? Really? Not just like one or two nations or something? All nations will says. call him blessed. Mm -hmm. Okay, go on. Blessed be the Lord God, the God of Israel, who only does wondrous things. <laughs> I like that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he does no non-wondrous things. Okay. And blessed be his glorious name forever. There's and, glory again, right? And let the whole earth be filled with his glory. Mm. Amen and amen. Amen and amen, I would have to say myself. <laughs> yes, let the whole earth be filled with his glory. Blessed be his glorious name forever. And all the nations... There's a whole family of scriptures about how all the nations will worship the Lord and so on. And this is one of them. All nations shall call him blessed and his glory will fill the earth. Uh, let's go, actually, let's go to the left back to Psalm 22. And let's look at verses... 27 and 28, because there's a similar type of statement here. All the ends of the world shall remember and turn to the Lord. Wouldn't that be nice? All the ends of the world shall remember. When is that going to happen? Did that already happen? That's interesting. All the ends of the world shall remember and turn to the Lord and... And all the families of the nations shall worship before you. Wow. In you. So, oh. So maybe the you... Abram and you, all the families of there. Maybe there's some connection between Abram and Jesus, right? That Jesus really is a blessing to, to everyone. And uh, not knocking Abraham, you know, but there's just a, a, a deeper layer of meaning there. And uh, all, the, all the people shall worship before you. Okay, go on. For the kingdom is the Lord's, and he rules over the nations. Yeah, the kingdom is the Lord's. Hmm. The kingdom is the Lord's, and he rules over the nations. Interesting. Okay. So uh, I'm interested. I've made a collection of these passages. I have many more than we'll be able to use tonight, in which it indicates that all these different people from different nations will worship the Lord at some point in the future, which is of great interest to me. Uh, let's see what's next. Why don't we go to Isaiah? So turn to the right, you'll go through Proverbs and Ecclesiastes. Let's get to Isaiah chapter 27. Trying as much as possible to go from left to right if we can here. Look at this interesting little passage here. Um, 27 verse 6, look at that odd. Look at the, the first phrase in 27 verse 1 is, In that day... Mm -hmm. This is what the Lord will do. He'll punish the Leviathan and in that day and so on. In that day is sort of code for, I think, for that, uh, the mountain phase, you know, the phase when the stone is going to become a great mountain. And look at verse 6 down there. What will happen in that day? Those who come, he shall cause to take root in Jacob. Israel shall blossom and bud and fill the face of the world with fruit. With what? Fruit. Fruit. Fill the face of the world with fruit. That's nice. Isn't that nice? That's good. I like it. Now, I think, you see, we <laughs> talked about the world being full of violence. Uh, I don't think it's literally going to be like pomegranates and apples and things. You know, I, I, 
I think that fruit relates to the idea of charity or loving action. Isn't that what fruit means so often in Scripture? That will fill the face of the world with fruit. And this is what Jacob and Israel are going to do. In other words, there's going to be this huge effect, right? I love that idea, if I'm understanding it correctly, that, that the whole world will at some point be filled with good and loving action. Fill the whole face. I'm not familiar with that scripture. Where did that come from? That wasn't in my Bible last time I looked. Fill the face of the world with fruit. I like that. Okay, let's see who's next. Who's next here? Um, we already read uh, Daniel. Maybe we need to venture into the minor prophets, shall we? Shall we be bold and venture in there? Uh, okay, let's go. So go through Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, which we were reading in earlier. And then you get to the minor prophets here. Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah. Number six is Micah. See if you can find your way to Micah there. I want to read chapter four, the first couple of verses there. Now it shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established on the top of the mountains and shall be exalted above the hills and people shall flow to it. Wow, they'll flow to it. Wait a minute. It's a, what is it? It's a, it's a mountain, right? Mm -hmm. In fact, it's at the top of the mountains. The house of the Lord shall be at the top of the mountains. How does that relate to this mountain that's going to fill the whole? Is that talking about the same mountain? Could be. And the house of the Lord will be established in the top of the mountains, and it shall be exalted above the hills, and people shall flow to it. Wow. People shall flow to it. Okay, tell me a little more about that. Many nations, Many nations shall come and say, mm. Come and let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways, and we shall walk in his paths. For out of Zion the law shall go forth, and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. Now this is again, this is a prophecy in the prophet who's talking about something that will happen eventually in the last days. Isn't that what it said? In the last days. Mm -hmm. You know, so... Uh, at the end, which I think of is the end of Nebuchadnezzar's image. Like the last days is when that stone becomes a great mountain and uh, period five takes over type of thing. Um, so much less poetic than the way that scripture expresses it, but there you have it. Um, let's look at, which comes first, Habakkuk or Zechariah? Habakkuk, of course. Let's go turn to the right and you'll go through Nahum to Habakkuk. And don't I want to look at Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 14. Here's another prophecy. For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Mm. So we've had the earth filled several times over with wonderful things like fruit and so on, with bad things like violence. Here, and we had the earth would be filled with the glory of the Lord. Here it's filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord. Isn't that what it said? Mm -hmm. The earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Another beautiful... So you see what I mean? Doesn't it seem like Scripture sort of says that the earth will be filled with something good at, at, at some point? Doesn't it kind of give you that impression? Um, okay, uh, turn to the right through Zephaniah, Zephaniah and Haggai to Zechariah. Okay, Zechariah has a few things to tell us here. Let's look at Zechariah chapter 2. Mm. Oh, this is beautiful. Verses 10 and 11. Sing and rejoice, O daughter of Zion, for behold, I am coming, and I will dwell in your midst, says the Lord. Says the Lord. And what's interesting about this is that people take this, and rightly so, as a kind of messianic prophecy about Jesus coming into the world. But look at the Lord. That's spelled with small caps in my Bible. That means Jehovah. Like the one who's coming into the world is Jehovah. I am coming. I will dwell in the midst of you, says the Lord. And Emmanuel means God with us, right? Mm -hmm. Okay, and how about verse 11? Many nations shall be joined to the Lord in that day. It probably doesn't mean that many nations will be joined to the Lord in that day. What that many, that's interesting. It says many nations hmm, will be joined to the Lord in that day 
And what will they be like? And they shall become my people. Mm. And I will dwell in your midst. Then you will know that the Lord of hosts has sent me to you. Mm. Yes. So many ma- nations will be, Isn't that like that other passage we just read about people? People shall flow to it. They'll come to this mountain. There'll be this great attractive force and so on. I just love these passages. Let's look at Zechariah chapter 8. And start at the 20th verse there. Read the end of Zechariah chapter 8, which is just a favorite passage of mine. Thus says the Lord of hosts, Peoples shall yet come, inhabitants of many cities. Oh, inhabitants of many cities. So people are going to come. We just read before that people will flow. Here the people come. Inhabitants of many cities. Okay. The inhabitants of one city shall go to another, saying, Let us continue to go and pray before the Lord mm. and seek the Lord of hosts. I myself will go also. That's right. Yes, many peoples and strong nations shall come to seek the Lord of hosts in Jerusalem and to pray before the Lord. Many people and strong nations. Yeah, there'll be this flowing together of like, oh, they're seeking the Lord. They're coming to seek the Lord. And... Thus says the Lord of hosts, in those days... In those days, yep. Ten men from every language of the nations Mm. shall grasp the sleeve of a Jewish man, saying, let us go with you, for we have heard that God is with you. Now, the way that Swedenborg explains this, and maybe it's not an obvious way of reading it, but he says that all these beautiful predictions in the prophets about Jerusalem mean this mountain religion that's coming, which I identify as Christianity version 2.0. Um, because it's associated with Jesus coming again and so on. Uh, And so that's what it's talking about. So what it means by a Jewish man there, it doesn't mean that it isn't a Jewish man. It just means that it's anybody who's following this kind of uh, religious point of view. We will go with you, for we've heard that God is with you. So there's this sense of attraction, people flowing and coming from all the nations. You see what I mean? And uh, let's look at Zechariah 14. Why not, why not? Verses 8 and 9. And in that day it shall be that living waters shall flow from Jerusalem, Mm. half of them toward the eastern sea and half of them toward the western sea. In both summer and winter it shall occur. Okay. And the Lord shall be king over all the earth. Over just some portion of it? All the earth. Oh, really? Okay. In that day it shall be the Lord is one and His name one. Yes, the Lord will be king over all the earth. These are the types of passages from which I derive this insane idea that at some point the Lord will be in charge of the whole earth, like He will be worshipped everywhere, and uh, that this is what is foretold in the prophets. That's where I get those kind of ideas. Let's look briefly in the New Testament, shall we? Just a few passages I want to look there. So turn to the right. Uh, where would I like to go? Let's go, um, let's go through the four Gospels and through Acts and Romans and First and Second Corinthians and Galatians. I want to get to Ephesians chapter 1. Let's look at verse, oh, this is talking about Jesus. Let's look, read from verse 21 through the end of the chapter then. Far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in that which is to come. Mm. And he put all things under his feet. He put all things under his feet. Isn't that like Psalm eight, uh, you know, Hmm. go on. And gave him to be head over all things to the church, Uh which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Oh, the Lord fills all in all. He fills everything. Hmm. How about Ephesians chapter 4? Uh, This is also about Christ. Let's pick up in verse 8. Therefore, he says, when he ascended on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. Now this, he ascended. What does it mean? But that he also first descended 
first descended into the lower parts of the earth. Yes, the lower parts of the earth, about which Swedenborg often talks. Go on. He who descended is also the one who ascended far above all the heavens. Why would he do that? That he might fill all things. Mm. So the Lord ascended far above the heavens that he might fill all things. And uh, I think it's in 1 Corinthians 15 that Adam and Jesus are likened to each other. Adam is the first Adam, Jesus is the second Adam kind of thing. So you think about an Adam, Adam and Eve, who are told to fill the earth. Noah's told to fill the earth. Abram's told to be a blessing to all the families of the earth. Daniel predicts that there will be the stone that becomes a great mountain that fills the whole earth. And then we're told of Jesus that he was lifted far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. And what was that phrase from the end of chapter 1? The fullness of him who fills all in all. This is a phrase that Swedenborg uses, the all in all, and that, that mm. kind of thing. Um, yes. That's right. Uh, so Jesus is filling everything. All right, and let's look at, uh, turn to the back of the Bible to Revelation. Go to chapter 11. Hmm. Okay, and the seventh angel sounds in verse 15, and something remarkable is said by a great voice. And the seventh angel sounded, and there were loud voices in heaven saying, The kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ. Oh, the kingdoms, plural, of this world mm -hmm. have become what? The kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ. Hmm. It's an odd expression, isn't it? Because as if Lord and Christ were two different things. Mm. Uh, but the kingdoms of this world are become kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ. And he and shall reign forever and ever. And there's no two there. He, there's just one, shall reign forever and ever. Hmm, like that kingdom. Yes, that perpetual kingdom. Uh, that stone that becomes a great mountain and fills the whole earth. And there's no sixth, there's no chapter seven or eight or nine. You know, that's it. There's five things. And there's a, a powerful moment of segue between number four and number five. Now, I am moved to mention here, let's back up a little bit through the epistles. I want to go back, see if you can find the Hebrews back there. And to the left of the Hebrews, you go through First and Second Timothy and you get back to Thessalonians. I want to look at Second Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 3. Well, let's read verse 1, start from there. Chapter 2? Yes. Now, brethren, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to him. Oh, is that that flowing? Is that all the people coming? So this is the New Testament. This is Paul in the New Testament after the first coming. And he's talking about the second coming very explicitly, right? Mm -hmm. And that the second coming will involve this gathering together to the Lord. Okay. And what does he say about it? We ask you not to be soon shaken in mind or troubled, either by spirit or by word or by letter, as if from us, as though the day of Christ had come. Uh -huh. Let no one deceive you by any means, for mm. that day will not come unless the falling away comes first, and the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition. Oh, I see. So scripture does say that there will be a falling away first, isn't that interesting? Now, I'm not, I, I, I wouldn't venture to know or try to identify something that's going on in our world with a particular verse of Scripture, but it's kind of fascinating to think about a falling away. You know, that even the religious parts of the United States are not as religious anymore as they used to be. Uh, that's very interesting. And, and kind of challenging to set beside these amazing scriptures about this astounding thing that's, that's going to happen, uh, that the Lord, something about the mountain, something about loving God, something about loving the neighbor, something about fruit, about charity, is going to fill the earth. Fill the earth. Mm. So, so what do we think is going on here? All right, well, let's try to talk a little bit about this. I think I'll draw a couple of words on the board here. Um, Swedenborg says that earth has different meanings. 
uh, sometimes in Scripture it means earth, i.e. the planet. And it may very well mean that in a number of these passages. The earth also means what he calls the, I'll put it in quote marks, church. The church, he doesn't mean a building or whatever, he means uh, all those people who are responding to the Lord, the Lord's kingdom on earth kind of thing. That the earth means the church, and there's one final thing that it means, which is the lower self. Hmm. Uh, the idea there is that in us, there is more than one layer to us. I noticed that in Genesis it said, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, and the heavens would represent this spiritual part of ourselves, the higher self, and the earth would represent the lower self. And so an awful lot of the effort in the creation story is to rehabilitate the earth. Like the earth starts out uh, without form and void, but bit by bit, it develops, first of all, land areas, then plants, and then finally has living things in, the, in its water and, and so on. It, and finally, um, animals and people, uh, it goes through an extensive kind of change, that level of the earth. Now, these are interestingly different things because to talk about the planet or to talk about a whole group of people on the planet uh, as the church, or to talk about one individual's lower self, hmm, those seem like kind of different things. And yet what I think is going on here, is they're, they're more connected than they may appear. Let me see if I can express this thought. I think what's going on, you see, um, the Lord has this kind of uh, holographic perspective um, you know how a hologram is that you split it into a bunch of pieces and each piece has the whole picture in it. And scripture is very much that way, I think, where each verse has a whole world in it. It's so fascinating to me to do this kind of Bible study where you look through these different passages because you see these same words coming up again and again, this idea of filling the earth and so on. Um, you see these themes that come up again and again. And so in a certain way, in the Lord's eye, I think the whole planet is not much different than the outer self, like the planet relative to heaven or something is not much different than the outer self of a single individual relative to the inner self of that individual. And so part of what's going on, you remember all the way back in Genesis, it, it's, it sounded a little, I mean, they had to subdue it. They had to kind of conquer, you know, they have dominion over the, you know, it wasn't like just, uh, it wasn't an easy situation. They had to kind of uh, fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, every living thing that moves on the earth. Those kind of passages, Swedenborg explains as meaning that something higher in us needs to conquer the stuff that we have in our lower self. Uh, let's read uh, in the New Testament real quick. You don't have to come here if you don't want good friends. But let's go back to the Ephesians. So if you head out from the four Gospels, you go through Acts and Romans, Corinthians, Galatians, you get to Ephesians there. I want to read in chapter 4. Um, it's just been talking in verse 19 there about people who have given themselves over to lasciviousness and uncleanness and greediness. And then it talks about the truth being in Jesus. And let's read it, verse 22 there. That you, <clears throat> that you put off concerning your former conduct the old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lusts. Oh, your earth being filled with violence, right? It's a bad condition to be in to have your lower self corrupt and full of these deceitful lusts. And what are we supposed to do instead? And be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Okay, how would I go do about that? And that you put on the new man, which was created according to God, in true righteousness and holiness. Now, I love that word created there. What an interesting word. As if the creation story itself 
was actually about changes that go on in our minds that after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. And it goes on in verse 25 to talk about put away lying, something in the Ten Commandments about lying. Verse 28, something about putting away stealing, something in 29 about not letting corrupt communication go out of your mouth. Interesting that it talked about, didn't it say the earth was corrupt? Or there was something about corruption in there, wasn't there? And in verse 31, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away with you, from you with all malice and be kind to each other, tender-hearted, forgiving, as God for Christ's sake has forgiven you. Um, so it's talking about a change, that old man and the new man, I think is very much related to this idea of the lower self. And the lower self, left to its own devices, as Scripture says at the very beginning, is without form and void. It's not in a wonderful condition. It needs to go through this extensive rehabilitation meant by these days of creation uh, because what God ultimately wants, and this is what is so amazing to me, I, I just think I've had it upside down my whole life. I think of it, I think of the whole thing that we're supposed to be doing is we're supposed to be going up to heaven somehow. You know, we're, we're supposed to go up. And I, I don't think that's entirely wrong, but it's fascinating that the new Jerusalem at the end of the book of Revelation is coming down from God out of heaven. And what did several of those scriptures say? That the glory of the Lord will fill not heaven, not that that wouldn't happen, but it didn't say heaven, right? It doesn't say it's going to fill heaven. It says it's going to fill the earth. The glory of the Lord will fill the earth, the lowest part. I think what the Lord wants to do is to come down all the way down. So we're trying to go up and we're trying to climb up and everything. And the Lord is like water seeking its own level, just coming down, 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 all the way interested in the lowest parts of ourselves, wanting to heal those things, flowing like those waters from the east and the west that we read about, flowing all the way down to do this healing and, and uh, wanting to let the Lord work on the outermost part of our lives because this is the part where the Lord wants to be. This is the part where we have the lower self is the part where we have that sense of self, that sense of that appearance of self-life. Uh, it's crazy, but the Lord wants that to be His world. He, he wants to move into that lowest level. We say, here, I've prepared this wonderful, magnificent palace up on the hill. And he says, oh, well, I'm really interested in that junky-looking shed down at the, at the bottom of the hill, you know. I, I'd like to live in there. Maybe I could fix it up, maybe put, put a different door on and get some new windows in there, maybe, or clean the old ones or something. Uh, the Lord wants to come all the way down so that he can fill that lower self with his glory. And part of what I'm talking about, friends, is that I think that is how... He will fill the earth. If He fills the earth of one person, that will help others, will it not? And if He fills the earth of a number of people, will that not start to mean a transformation even on this level? And will that not, of the level of the church I'm pointing to on my graph, and will that not even mean a transformation on this highest level of the earth as the planet? Will the planet not be transformed if a whole bunch of people get transformed in their outer self. The Lord wants to come all the way down and rehab that outer self and fill that earth. That creation story is all about the earth and all that filling is about filling it with love and truth, filling that lower self. It may start out when you're first created that you've only got one love and one truth, you know, just Adam and Eve. But what the Lord says is, I want you to fill the earth, multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. Take over the whole rest of this world down here because I, I want my spirit through those qualities to fill you thoroughly. I want to rescue everything all the way down to the toenails. I, I, I want to be throughout all this and, and rescue that earth. And that's the way... I believe that the Lord wants to 
uh, rehabilitate uh, the church, and that's the way he wants to rehabilitate the planet. So I think we have one answer possibly there, which is that as we go through our rehabilitation, for one thing, just reading scripture in this way, I think is so enriching because all of that all of a sudden is hits closer to home for me at least that I think, oh, oh, that's not, you know, that's not talking about Adam and Eve long ago and something they should do about the planet. It's talking about something that the Lord wants to do with me. He wants the Abram in each one of us to be a blessing to all the families of the earth, you know, fill that, that whole earth and to do that on both the micro scale and the macro scale, to do that throughout our world. So along those lines, let's just read a few scriptures here. Uh, can you turn to your Old Testament? It's sort of about a quarter of the way through the Bible. I want to go to First Chronicles. It's after First and Second Samuel, First and Second Kings, but to the left of the Psalms and all that. I want to go to First Chronicles 16. Hmm. Okay, and let's read, um, start at verse 29, how about that, 1 Chronicles 16. Give to the Lord the glory due his name. <clears throat> Bring an offering <clears throat> and come before him. Oh, worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. That familiar phrase, worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. It seems like I've heard a hymn about that, something like that. Go on. Tremble before him, all the earth. All the what? Earth. Oh, tremble before him, all the earth. Okay. The world also is firmly established. It shall not be moved. Mm. Okay. Let Here it is. Here it is. Let the heavens rejoice. Let the heavens rejoice. And let the earth be glad. And let the earth be glad. Isn't that a nice picture? So your heaven, your heavens rejoicing and your earth is glad. Okay? And let them say among the nations. The nations. The Lord reigns. The Lord reigns. Okay? Let the sea roar and all its fullness. Let the field rejoice and all that is in it. Mm. Then the trees of the woods shall rejoice before the Lord, for he is coming to judge the earth. Mm. It's interesting how different that is in the New King James that our dear reader just read and in the Old King James, if you happen to have that to hand. Because in verse 33, it says, Then shall the trees of the wood sing out at the presence of the Lord. Mm. Very interesting. Just a slightly different emphasis of the translation there. But in any case, he's coming to judge the earth. People think this is going to be a terrible event, but actually this is talking about his presence coming more fully as it comes down into this world. Let's turn to the middle of your Bible to Psalm. We've just got a couple more of these, 97. Just verse 1 there. The Lord reigns. Let the earth rejoice. Mm. Let the multitude of isles be glad. Yes, let the earth rejoice because the Lord is in charge. <laughs> and how about... Uh, oh, let's read the whole of Psalm 98. Okay. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song, for he has done marvelous things. His right hand and his holy arm have gained the victory. The Lord has made known his salvation. His righteousness he has revealed in the sight of the nations. Mm. He has remembered his mercy and his faith, faithfulness to the house of Israel. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. Wow, that's a mighty statement, isn't it? <coughs> All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. Okay. Shout joyfully to the Lord, all the earth. All the earth. Break forth in song, rejoice, and sing praises. Mm. Sing to the Lord with the harp, with the harp and the sound of a psalm. With trumpets and the sound of a horn, shout joyfully before the Lord, the King. The King. Let the sea roar and all its fullness, the world and those who dwell in it. The world, the what? The world and those who oh, dwell just, just in it. Oh, just just the world. Okay, just the world, uh, the world and those who dwell in it. Okay, good. Let the rivers clap their hands. Let the hills be joyful together before mm. the Lord. 
For he is coming to judge the earth. Not something we think of with rejoicing usually, but this mm -hmm. is a cause of rejoicing that the Lord is coming. With righteousness he shall judge the world and the peoples with equity. Yes, we need that equity. We need that righteousness in our world. Um, our wor I don't know how you feel, good friends. I don't know how you look out and see our world. Um, seems like there's a little mayhem uh, going on here and there. A few little rough spots. People not treating each other with the perfect fruit of charity. Um, uh, it's a very interesting time in this planet and a time when through the media a lot of us are so able to be aware of what's going on with all the rest of us and, and all these difficult things that are going on, so much upheaval in our world and, and so on. And uh, it's very curious to me that that uh, it's, not, it's not surprising to me, but it's very curious to me that that kind of traditional Christianity is in some places, in, in other places it's thriving, but in some places it's kind of losing ground. Like people are just thinking, that doesn't make sense. Or, the, you know, I've been doing this because of my parents and my grandparents or whatever, but it doesn't really make sense for me. I'm not, I'm not feeling it or whatever. And so maybe this is part of a falling away. I don't know. But I treasure at, at these times the thought that there's a great future. And the thought that the Lord who is in all time apart from time, in all space apart from space, has told us again and again and again, from Genesis to Revelation, He's told us again and again and again, it's going to be good. The earth is going to be the Lord's. All the kingdoms of the world will be the Lord's. All the nations of the world will come to the Lord. I really treasure that vision. That's a very beautiful, uplifting vision. And I feel like I got my marching orders, which is that I can't help anybody with their earth unless my earth, you know, it's a gradual process. But we got to keep on repenting, right? We have to keep going through repentance, laying aside evil, uh, setting aside, how to say it, put off that old man which is corrupt according to deceitful lusts and put on the new man and so on. Not trying to make a gendered statement there, that just like the old self and the new self. Uh, the Lord wants to make us new. He wants to descend into us and fill all parts of us so that, not just for our sake, but so that He can reach others through us. So that through each of us, Abram's promise can be fulfilled, that he wants to make each one of us a blessing to all the families of the earth. When you imagine that the Lord is playing a very, very long, patient game, but when you imagine that the Lord is moving and that he wants to move this person forward a little and this person forward a little, and it might not even be very visible, it may not be as visible, doesn't get covered on the news quite as much as the mayhem, uh, but I treasure the thought that the Lord is moving and that bit by bit this is going to become not only the Lord's nation uh, but the Lord's world. This will be His world and all the earth will be filled with the glory of the Lord. Thank you, friends. Let's close with a prayer, shall we? <coughs> Our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, you are the one God of heaven and earth. You came into this world in order to take on the power to be able to transform our outer selves. You are fully present on this outermost level of reality. We pray for your help, Lord, with our own chaotic inner planets, uh, help to straighten out the mayhem that's going on. We pray that your love and your wisdom, that Adam and Eve, that they multiply, that they fill our earth, that they subdue it, that they get everything into order so that this truly is your world. And help us, Lord, to spread this joy to others, that this may be your planet, your world. Our Father, who art in the heavens, 
hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, as in heaven, so upon the earth. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Let's keep on repenting, friends, so that this can be his earth as well as his heaven.